Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. The jury is still out on the relative success of President Recep Tayyip Erdogan in his efforts to improve or at least maintain Turkey's position in the eastern Mediterranean and the Levant going into the G20 conference and its side talks in Rome last weekend. Apparently, the Turkish leader managed to avoid further friction and emerged from his meetings with President Biden and Macron, among other leaders, with positive atmospherics, but on substance, new agreements are yet to take shape. First aid is being administered in painful military and diplomatic situations, but no radical treatment leading to recovery has been outlined. So where does Turkey stand today vis-à-vis the United States, Russia, Syria, Greece, and other forces demanding President Erdogan's attention? To analyze this topic, we're joined from Washington, D.C. in the United States by General Mark Kimmett, who is a former Assistant Secretary of State for Political and Military Affairs. Sir, uh, thank you for joining us, sir. Also joining us from Ankara, Turkey, is Mr. Yusuf Ferim, who is a TRT World Editor at Large. Thank you for joining us as well, sir. Thanks for having me. And uh, with us here in the studio is our TV7 analyst, uh, Editor at Large, and host of Watchmen Talk and Powers in Play, Mr. Amir Oren. Amir, give us a broader understanding on Turkey today. Well, none of the fundamental issues uh, seem to have been resolved, and um, it wasn't uh, really expected uh, that that would be the outcome of the uh, Biden-Erdogan talk. And um, before this particular conversation, there were uh, some telephone conversations between the uh, Secretary of Defense and the Minister of Defense uh, regarding the uh, newest issue, and that is F-16s as a replacement for the F-35s, which the Americans uh, have withdrawn uh, from their offer to Turkey because of the S-400 um, Russian system, which Erdogan insists on uh, acquiring and operating. And uh, while this has not been finalized, and there are also financing issues to be uh, that are involved here, because there is a gap between what the Americans owe the Turks because of the F-35 and what the F-16 uh, would cost, nevertheless, it seems like uh, a clever ploy um, to resolve the uh, conflict because no new technology uh, is now involved. The uh, Turks have already gotten F-16s, and if they tried to um, coordinate them with the S-400, uh, there will be no uh, novelty um, in a further uh, batch of uh, fighters. So if one can uh, project from this particular issue, which uh, of course is only arms sales and Congress has a say in it, um, the outlook is now brighter than it was over the last several months because apparently there is some willingness to compromise and Erdogan probably sees that the Mediterranean, Turkey, Libya, even Syria 
are not uppermost on Biden's mind, not because of the climate crisis, because obviously after this week, um, Biden will look uh, towards 2030, 2050, not next week, but the pivot to Asia. Indeed. I'd like to ask actually, Mr. Rehm, uh, with regard to the meeting between President Biden and uh, his Turkish counterpart, Erdogan, the, the meeting seemed to be quite cordial. Uh, some positive remarks were made from both uh, sides. However, when there are discussions ongoing about uh, the F-16 uh, procurement and, and, of course, the, the servicing of the aircraft currently in Turkey, uh, we hear also about uh, a paper being put on, on the floor in, in Congress about uh, potentially exempting India from uh, 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 sanctions and other related uh, measures with regard to procurement of uh, American weaponry in uh, with regard, excuse me, procurement of Russian weaponry uh, in order to continue to do business and, of course, citing China as the reason and uh, mutual bilateral interests uh, on uh, uh, this angle. What signal does that send to Ankara at such a time uh, when it does uh, seem quite resolved about uh, continuing with uh, procurement of Russian-made uh, uh, weaponry? Well, first of all, the Turks are following the uh, process with India very, very closely to see what the United States is going to do. Uh, obviously, they expect a standard in the application of CATSA law. Now, expecting a standard in the application of CATSA law doesn't necessarily mean Turkey wants to see India get slapped with sanctions. Uh, I think quite the opposite. Turkey wants to see India get a waiver, and that's setting a precedent. Have Turkey getting a waiver as well for S-400 purchase. Uh, but at the end of the day, if you don't have a standard and this turns into a double standard, uh, many Turks will be looking at the application of CATSA with uh, a bad intent that it's meant to it's meant to target Turkey. And I think that. If America doesn't apply this legislation equally across the board, uh, again, the situation with Germany and Nord Stream 2, uh, a possible situation arising with the Egyptians and the uh, Sukhoi 35 aircraft purchase, uh, there's going to be many uh, possibilities in the future where CATS is going to have to be applied. And if America does choose to exempt country or countries, uh, Turkey is going to want to know why it got sanctioned. So. Uh, it's a very important choice for the United States, and if they want CATSA to be legitimate, uh, if they want their legislation to have some type of credibility, if they don't want the Turks to believe that they're being targeted, uh, they're going to have to, as I said, create a standard. Now, unfortunately, it's very sad that we're even talking about an F-16 sale today. A decade ago, this would have been a formality. We're talking about an aircraft that Turkey's had in its uh, fleet for over three decades. Uh, a fourth generation fighter, not a fifth generation fighter, uh, a fighter that's a standard in the Turkish Air Force. And yet we're talking, is Congress going to approve this sale? And unfortunately, that shows the state of U.S.-Turkey relations. Uh, I'm hoping that this sale will be a first step, a confidence building measure, a confidence building boost for both sides. Uh, but if Congress decides to act uh against uh, what Biden sees as a positive approach by the Turks. Uh, that's definitely going to create a, a lot of deterioration. And I think that the relationship right now, which is at a crossroads, can actually, we can even start talking about a breaking point in the future. I think it's going to get to that point. That's how bad it's going to get if 
an F-16 sale is rejected. Indeed. General Kimmel, I'd like to hear your perspective on this. But beyond that, how does the United States at this stage regard Turkey at a time when it is uh, perceived by most NATO member states uh, who are uh, willing to be vocal about it, uh, including, of course, France and Greece being on the top of that list, uh, regarding Turkey as a, a member of NATO, which is sliding towards the east, uh, if you may, and the north with regard to to Russia and uh, China. It, is that a reality that is perceived that way also in Washington? Or is there a uh, more of a pragmatic approach toward the relations between Ankara and Washington? Well, I think there's an opportunity for a pragmatic approach. Uh, if the latest F-16s, uh, not a bright point. It's merely a candle in the darkness. Uh, Yusuf very articulately went into the details about the F-16 issue. But on the part of the Americans, there's a portfolio of problems between Turkey and the United States right now. Uh, first and foremost, Turkey is and has been a very, very strong NATO ally and UN ally for over 75 years. They fought with us and worked with us in every military operation since Korea. But over the past few years, starting in my mind with the incident in 2004 in Iraq when Americans hooded the Turkish officers, uh, there has been a steady decline under the Erdogan regime. And it's not just about F-16s and it's not just about CASA. The portfolio of problems ranges from Gulan to support for the YPG, for the S-400s, for the F-35, for some of the activities that we're seeing in the Mediterranean. So yes, it was a baby step forward with this F-16, and I do believe the Congress is going to approve it. Uh, I, I think we've got a long way to go, particularly since we lost one of our best diplomats just recently, David Satterfield, and he was replaced by a political, by a former senator, Jeff Flake, so I think we've got a lot of work to do. We've still got a lot of problems. Uh, at best, what we're seeing with F-16 is a candle in the darkness, a baby step forward. We have a lot of work to do. And as Yusuf said before the show, um, it's going to this meeting that we saw on Sunday is the beginning of the discussion because now these issues are going to be worked uh, by the Sherpas and by the bureaucrats inside uh, the administration. And candidly, there are still those within the administration who primarily for the issue with regards of support for the YPG in Syria still have animosity towards uh, Turkey in general, the Turkish general staff in particular. Indeed. Mr. Owen? Well, uh, General Kimmet mentioned uh, Ambassador Satterfield um, and indeed uh, uh, former Senator Flake uh, has been uh, uh, confirmed or moved out of the uh, Foreign Relations uh, Committee and uh, will be uh, in Ankara shortly. But before uh, Mr. Satterfield goes home, he was uh, PNG'd. He was declared persona non grata along with nine other ambassadors in a moment of uh, particular anger by President Erdogan, which was later... Uh, apparently uh, revoked uh, by the foreign ministry, or at least it could have been um, a nice gambit. First of all, uh, President Erdogan um, makes up 
a diplomatic uh, storm, and then everything goes back to normal, and now um, all of these countries are in Erdogan's debt. But, you know, the United States has itself to blame for what seems like the uh, Turkish shift from being uh, a staunch Western ally towards Russia. Russia is here to stay, here in the Middle East, here in Syria, which of course borders Turkey. Uh, Syria is a prime national security interest of uh, Turkey's. And if the Americans go home, and just to remind you, the um, very first uh, inkling of American involvement in, and presence in the Middle East, in the Mediterranean, was 75 years ago when an American battleship carried the coffin of the Turkish ambassador to Washington who died uh, while in service there. And this particular vessel uh, stayed there as the, the uh, start of the Sixth Fleet. But as, as all observers must admit, the United States is not here to stay. It has dwindled its presence. It is talking about over the horizon. And the Russians are here. So uh, who can blame Erdogan if he sees realpolitik for what it is? Indeed. Uh, a Russian bear, of course. Uh, and whether the bear is on a diet or not, it uh, still is a bear. Uh, Mr. Rehm, I'd like to hear from you uh, on the, the whole saga that occurred with regard to the ambassadors. Of course, there was a, a track two conducted uh, while Erdogan was speaking about uh, the, the uh, being infuriated by the, the joint statement that was sent out by the various ambassadors that uh, Mr. Oren referred to. Uh, all the while, uh, Foreign Minister Mevlusha Vushoglu was trying to mend the fences, if you will, behind the scenes. Do you see uh, this current situation as somewhat a mirror to the, the tense situation currently between Turkey and the West? Well, first of all, I think that the ambassadors were out of line commenting on an ongoing court case. Uh, November 26 uh, is the next hearing. Uh, now, regardless of what the Turkish judge rules, unfortunately, he's in a very tight situation now. If he allows uh, Osman Kavala to be released, many people are going to look at it as he bent the knee to foreign pressure. If he decides to uphold and send Osman Kavala back to jail, it's going to look like a politicized decision with Erdogan pressuring the judge. So uh, unfortunately, that's why these types of comments shouldn't be made during an ongoing court case. Uh, as for the European Court of Human Rights hearing the case, they really had no jurisdiction inside their own bylaws. It specifically states that. The European Court of Human Rights can only hear cases after the domestic judicial process has been exhausted. And uh, as I said, there's a November 26th case. It's not exhausted. As for the statement that the U.S. Embassy released afterwards, uh, after the original statement, uh, I thought it was a stroke of genius having a little shift between the Turkish and the English, where the Turkish says that they maintain compliance with uh, the, the English saying they maintain compliance with Article 41, but in the Turkish referring it to the future tense will maintain compliance as if they didn't, but pledged to. So whoever thought that up at the uh, State Department or the embassy, that was a very nice diplomatic touch. It gave a lot of diplomatic breathing room for all the 11 players involved. It was a get out of jail free card for everybody. And everyone was able to 
go back to an uh, go back to an area of pragmatism and be able to solve this problem with minimal uh, geopolitical fallout. And just one very quick comment about the Russians. I think Turkey, uh, even though this is a contradictory statement, I think Turkey is cooperating more with Russia than ever, but also competing more with Russia than ever in its history. And uh, I think that balance of the scale, Turkey's relationship with the United States determines which way that scale with Russia goes, how much uh, it tilts in the favor of competition or cooperation. And I think they are the big determinant in that. So Washington decides how good Turkey's relationship with Russia is, because at the end of the day, Turkey does see less engagement in the Middle East. And I think this is only the beginning of an era of less engagement. So unless the United States has trust in Turkey and says, wow, I'm engaging less, I want to give you a bigger role in this region. I want to work through you. Uh, Turkey really sees no reason to sit down and cooperate with the United States in the Middle East. There's another player rolling in uh, who has military power, who has a, a pa the power to change realities on the ground and the diplomatic relations uh, that are building that it sees as an actor that it has to sit down at the table with to be able to further its interests. So the United States really needs to decide what it wants to do with Turkey, what role it wants Turkey to fulfill. And also it needs to realize what it wants to do itself in the region, what its goals, its ambitions, and its targets are for the next 5, 10, 25 years. General Kimmett, I'd like to hear your uh, take on this. Also, uh, when we're speaking at uh, the era of strategic competition, bringing in the whole uh, equation here, how do you perceive this situation? On the issue of the statement and by the 14 countries, uh, it may have been uh, kind of, uh, Ambassador Satterfield's way of walking out the door and shooting a, a round across the bow for the continued interference by President Erdogan on the issue of Gulan and the court case of Gulan here in the United States. But on this larger issue about the strategic context, I think there are two things to observe. It is clear that President Erdogan has been pushing for more uh, influence in the region. His concept of bigger than five to us demonstrates that he doesn't want to just be seen as one of 16 or one of 23 in NATO uh, or simply a member of Europe. He, he is pushing his country to have a, a far greater, if not outsized, role in foreign policy in the region. Uh, I don't think that we're going to see Turkey leave NATO anytime soon, nor do I see NATO throwing Turkey out. Uh, so as long as Turkey remains an indispensable uh, figure and an indispensable uh, partner inside of NATO, I think that remains the anchor for Turkey and the West. Uh, and it also reminds Turkey that in some cases, uh, Russia is an ally, but at the end of the day, it's probably the greatest adversary being seen by NATO at this time, which is why the whole issue of the S-400 is different from that of India and selling the equipment that's Katzabard there. Uh, in the case of India, uh, there are no national security threats to America or its ally by India having that equipment. However, the S-400, I think everybody recognizes, could potentially be a threat, uh, particularly as the radar that it has 
uh, can detect everything in the air that NATO flies except the F-35. And uh, so my view is that uh, as long as 400 remains an issue, uh, then we will continue to have questions about Turkey as a full ally inside of NATO. But I think in the long run, the combination of Turkey having a very large uh, aspiration and level of ambition in the region uh, would cause me to believe that Turkey is simply trying to play off uh, all the parties involved, almost to the point where it's trying to turn itself into uh, not a member of the Western Bloc, not a member of the Eastern Bloc, but as we remember from 30 years ago, this notion of the non-aligned bloc. So mm -hmm. I don't think there will be any problems in the long run, uh, but this is just an issue that's in the small comments and the small problems like Gulan uh, we'll have to work through. But in the larger geostrategic issues, I think the most important thing is for America and its allies to help understand the level of ambition of Turkey and work with Turkey so that it doesn't become an adversary or at least uh, completely non-aligned in the region. Did Mr. Owen? Uh, Turkey uh, has been, is, and uh, will uh, go on being a very important regional power in the Mediterranean, the Levant, and Central Asia. However, the relative weight of the Turkish military has changed uh, because of the end of the Cold War. When uh, in the 1950s, and beyond, the uh, Turkish army, the land force, was a very important ingredient of NATO because of the Soviet Union bordering Turkey and because Europe was to be the battlefield of the Third World War. Of course, the, the Turks uh, were a very important uh, force in Korea too. But now with Air Force, Navy, Cyber, expeditionary forces, and the theater of war shifting towards China and the Far East, Turkey is not so essential to the defense of the West. Yes, there is uh, still the Black Sea and Ukraine vis-a-vis -vis Russia. There are important contributions which Turkey can make if it chooses to. But looked at from the perspective of the entire defense mechanism of the West and the coalition of the willing, Turkey is less important, less essential than it used to be. General Kimmet, you, you don't agree? No, I really don't because you have not only um, laid out a reason why Turkey is not important as an ally because of the defense of the West, but you in fact have actually uh, given a pretty plausible explanation for why we should disband NATO. Uh, the fact remains is the only thing worse than NATO is no NATO. And as long as it is the most important security alliance that the United States has had for the last 75 years, uh, I think that Turkey will remain a significant part of that. And uh, I would wa not want to dismiss their capabilities, uh, particularly as we're seeing a more and more uh, adventurous, to say the least, Russia in areas such as Ukraine and the Baltics. Adding Indeed. Turkey to that equation as an ally of Russia and against NATO would only make things worse.
Yes, uh, I agree. Uh, I'm trying uh, to look at it objectively from the point of view of the uh, uh, centrality of China as a peer competitor of the United States and the top security threat as being depicted first by the Trump administration and now Biden's. If, if I can get a word in, uh, I still think that the top security threat for Europe, which is the bulk of the transatlantic alliance, is still Russia. I don't think that's changed. But I do think uh, the United States threat perception has now shifted farther east as uh, China has become the number one national security threat to American interests. But when we see dialogue between NATO allies, especially the United States and the EU, we see that many EU countries are not really on board uh, to counter China, especially in a military manner, just because of such economic interests. Uh, they're even very, very hesitant at times uh, to diplomatically counter China. So uh, I don't think that America has been able to get Brussels on board, London on board, Paris and uh, Berlin on board uh, in its crusade against China in the next decade or two decades. So. The United States still seems kind of uh, so flying solo against China at the moment, maybe a little more support from the UK than the rest of Europe. But I still think everyone believes that Russia is a threat. Russia could be a threat at any time. Uh, and the EU has even gone as far as uh, proposing the creation of an EU army under uh, uh, some of the proposals that the French President Emmanuel Macron has made. So uh, I do still see a lot of value when we see Turkish drones countering Russian separatists in Donbas uh, when we see Turkish drones pushing back uh, Russian-backed Armenian forces in uh, Nagorno-Karabakh, uh, pushing back Wagner forces in uh, Libya and Syria. So uh, at the end of the day, who's actually militarily engaged Russia or Russian PMCs more than Turkey has over the last decade? I, I don't even think the United States has uh, engaged Russia militarily to the extent Turkey has. Well, just with regard to the EU force, we're speaking here about 5,000 troops. It's, it's um, rendered a joke by uh, many practitioners throughout Europe. But uh, with that being said, we are drawing near to the end of the program. Actually, uh, we've arrived at the end of program. And uh, there is still a very important uh, subject uh, with regard to Turkey in uh, Syria in the Eastern Mediterranean, something that we'll have to revisit in the near future, and hopefully we'll be able to uh, reestablish this panel to do just that. Uh, but until then, uh, as Mr. Oren has stated, Russia is here to stay, but so is Turkey, and therefore it should be taken note of, and it should also uh, be recognized as an important partner of NATO and uh, an important player in the region. So I'd like to thank General Kimmet, Mr. Rim, as well as Mr. Oren for being part of today's panel, and I'd like to thank our viewers as well, and we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.